Good morning. It's good to see you guys today. I'm glad to be in church. I'm glad you guys are here, and I'm excited uh, to get into God's Word, into the Bible. So uh, let's just jump in. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the book of Colossians, which is in the New Testament, chapter 2. We're going to get started this morning in verse 8. So that's Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 8. Let me also encourage you to reach inside of your worship bulletin. Find your message notes. Pull those out. The scripture passage we're looking at today is printed on the front. And there's a place on the back for you uh, to make some notes as well. So we're in this series through the book of Colossians. Say Colossians with me. Colossians. One more time, but like you really know it. Colossians. All right. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. It's one of four letters that's called his, epistle, uh, his prison epistles or his prison letters. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he's writing to the church at Colossae, not that he knows these people personally. They don't have a personal relationship, but he knows about them. They know about him. And he's writing to clear up some confusion that they have in their church because of false teachers that are in their church. And he gives, um, well, not, not to bore you. It shouldn't bore you. Some, some, some things you just need to know, right? Well, what Paul does in this letter, because he's, he's an educated guy. Uh, he, he's educated as a, a Roman, so he has a, a Greek education and he's also a Jew, so he has this great Jewish education. And uh, so he, he has a very distinct writing style. He likes to put things in, in forms. He, he doesn't really know when to quit talking or preaching, but lots of us have that problem, lots of us pastors. And so a few times at different places he'll stop like you think it's over, but then he adds some more to it. And uh, again, I, I relate to that. But what he does... Is, is he gives us an outline. In chapter 1, he talks about who Jesus is. Because these false teachers that have become a part of the church and they're teaching things that are just not true, there's some confusion about who Jesus is. So Paul writes to clear up that confusion. He does that in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, which we're going to be dealing with today, Paul says... This is who we are in Jesus. Those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, this is who we are in Jesus. And then chapters 3 and 4, Paul says, okay, now that we know who Jesus is, and now that we know who we are in Jesus, this is how we're supposed to live like Jesus. And so next week we should be starting in chapter 3 where we, we begin to... Hear from Paul about how to live like Jesus in our homes, when we go to work, when we're at play, uh, wherever we are, no matter what day of the week it is, whether it's Sunday or not, this is how you live like Jesus. Today, in chapter 2, and again we're picking up with verse 8, Paul gives us some warning labels. You know what warning labels are, right? Sure you do, because we live in a world that's just full of warning labels. I mean, we have warning labels everywhere. And it seems to me that it sort of started 
uh, back, was it in the 80s or the 90s when McDonald's got sued for having coffee that was too hot? Someone spilt it on their lap or something. Do you remember when that was? 80s, 90s, something like that. But it seemed to just begin, or maybe I just started paying attention to it then. But it, it seemed like that's when all of these frivolous, kind of ridiculous lawsuits, people getting sued about everything. So because manufacturers and companies and organizations are so concerned about being sued, they do everything they can to try to cover their rear ends with warning labels. We know what warning labels are. Now, uh, this week I did a little bit of research and I found some really funny actual warning labels. I thought I would just get us started with something a little bit funny. So let's take a look at this first one. Now, you might not be able to tell completely, but that, that's a chainsaw bar to the left. And it says, danger, do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Now, that's a handy piece of information right there, isn't it? Because you don't want to hold the chainsaw on the bar with the blade on it because that would be a no-no, wouldn't it? Uh, back in, the, I guess, when I was in my early 20s, before I, I started uh, into the ministry and went to college and all that good stuff. I worked with my dad in a construction rental equipment company. And uh, in our hickory store, which I, I worked at about half the time, we had general rental items. And so it wasn't just contractors like in our Charlotte offices, that just contractors came into those. We didn't really have a city counter, but we did in hickory. And I'll never forget a lady coming in one day, and she said, I want to rent a chainsaw. Now, ladies, listen, no offense, but that's sort of unusual for a lady to come in wanting to rent a chainsaw. And so I, I asked her some questions. I, I don't want to offend her, but I was, you know, just sort of trying to feel out. And I, finally, I just asked her, are you going to use this chainsaw? And she said, no, I have my 12-year-old son out in the car. He's going to be using it. <laughs> Ma'am, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't rent this saw to you. I think my dad took all the chainsaws we had for rent, sold them to a customer that used them a lot, and we got out of the chainsaw rental business. But I'm sure that that's why there are warning labels like this one right here, chainsaws. There, there's one more. Let's take a look at it. Now, the, the, the image is a little bit skewed, but this is a prescription, and it happens to be for a dog. It's been filled. Now, I know that you can't see it maybe from where you are, but it says, the, the warning label does, uh, to be careful and not take this particular medicine with alcohol. And if you do take this medicine, make sure you don't drive, which is good to know. Uh, you wouldn't want your dog out there driving. And, uh, and drinking alcohol. Now, I grew up with a couple of buddies. I'm pretty sure that their, their dogs drink alcohol, but hopefully not with their prescription meds. I, I saw another one this week. I, I didn't have the guts to bring it in, but it was, it was kind of funny. It was for preparation age. I, I don't have to explain what that's for, right? We, we know what that's for. Uh, but the warning label on this said, uh, do not take orally. I'm thinking, man, if it's come down to that, uh, things are really bad. You probably need to go to the emergency room. Uh, that, that's not going to help. So some warning labels are, are just r ridiculous. But then some of them are really important. I mean, some warning labels are designed to keep us safe physically. 
And uh, I, I've got one of those, too, that I'll show you. This is um, just a photo that we took in London a couple of years ago. It says, Mind the Gap. And that's almost like a, a saying that you see everywhere in London on T-shirts and that sort of thing. But these come out of their subway stations, Mind the Gap. And I don't know if you can tell or, or not just from the photo, but from the, uh, the platform into that subway train, it's about a foot and a half wide. It's almost a jump to get over it. But then you have to not just jump far enough, you have to jump high enough. And so everywhere you go, there are these warning labels, essentially, that say, mind the gap. In other words, before you get on the train, before you get off the train, mind the gap. That means look out. Don't, don't fall in the gap. So again, some warning labels help us. Today in Colossians chapter 2, Paul's going to give us some very important warning labels. And these warning labels are, are not so much to protect us physically, but to protect us as followers of Jesus spiritually. So let's dive in. Are you ready? Got your message notes out? Ready to go? Are you sure? You guys are with me? All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, be careful. And there's the warning. That's the warning label, label. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Paul uses some interesting words, and I know some of you don't like history that much, uh, which may mean that you hate uh, English vocabulary. I, I, I hate that too, but there, some words are important. They have, they have meaning to them. Words matter. And Paul uses some Greek words here that don't translate very well into English. The words he uses for be careful and don't be taken captive are the same kind of words that you would use to warn people that a slave trader has come into the area. So be careful not to let the slave trader capture you because he's not going to let you go. So this is a serious warning label. Paul says be careful not to let anyone capture you and hold you prison to teachings that are basically human, but things that are not of Jesus Christ. Okay, before we go any further, let me explain to you a little bit about what these false teachers are saying. Basically, the false teachers are saying that you are a follower of Jesus, and that's great, that's, that's, that's fine, but it's not enough. There's more. Like you'll see in some of these later verses, they talk about worshiping angels and how to uh, have visions, which is really hallucinations. Don't know what they're smoking, but it, it was something. And he says, uh, you, you, you don't want to get into that. You don't want to be involved in that. And these false teachers are saying, listen, you know Jesus, but that's just the beginning. Knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior is kind of like knowing your ABCs. It's fine that you know the alphabet, but do you know how to put the alphabet together to make words out of them? And Paul says, listen, you need to steer clear of those guys. 
Don't be picking up what they're putting down. It's a trap. It's a snare. And then he explains this just a little further in verses 9 and 10. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So Paul is saying, listen, these false teachers, they come into the church, they come into your group, and they have some really nice-sounding philosophies. They're basically telling you hollow lies that are deceitful. Don't you believe them? Uh, they, they come in like they have this great authority. They may even look like a professor. They may even have doctor in front of their name. But they're taking lies and deceitfulness and they're wrapping it into fancy names, calling it philosophy, and don't you buy it. Really what the words mean is stop buying into it. Paul reminds us of something that's very important. He says that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you have everything you need. On the reverse of that, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life as Lord and Savior, you're hollow and empty. In Christ, you're full. That doesn't mean that you're mature that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're everything that God wants you to be. You're not exactly where he wants you to go. I mean, God's will for all of us is that we grow in our faith and that we mature. But in Christ, you have everything you need. It's not Jesus and philosophy. It's not Jesus and politics. It's not Jesus and anything. For the Christian, it's only Jesus. It's been a tough week in our country. Once again, here we are on a, a, another Sunday thinking about, talking about, praying about another school shooting. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't know what to say about it politically or socially. Or even philosophically. Like you, I've got my ideas. I don't think there's just any one thing that's the answer to keep school shootings from happening. But I can tell you what the problem is. The problem is that we live in a fallen, broken world that desperately needs Jesus. That's what's wrong. We live in a world that's full of people like this 19-year-old boy. Well, he's a 19-year-old man, but the way we raise kids today, a 19-year-old is probably more like a 12 or a 13-year-old. A 19-year-old today is not a 19-year-old when my dad was 19 years old. But that 19-year-old was empty and void on the inside and evil filled him up 
so that he's willing to walk into that school and shoot and kill 17 innocent people and would have killed many more had he been able to. I think it's I think it's interesting that the same society that created that kid after he goes off the evil deep end wants to criticize that kid. I understand the criticism. Listen, I'm I'm mad with him too. I mean, I have the human side of me as well. But let me tell you something. That kid was made by society that since at least the 1960s has done everything it could to kick God out of our society. He was raised by a society by teachers, and I don't mean every teacher, of course, uh, but, but even the, the teachers that this kid would have had growing up that were, were Christians, their hands have, have been tied. But he's been raised in a society by teachers, by adults all around him who have used the philosophies of this world, the ones like Paul is talking about here in verse 8, to empty society of the fingerprints of God. And when you empty a person or when you empty a society of the fingerprints of God, you are opening the door for evil to rush in and fill up that space. And that's what happened on Valentine's Day. We live in a world where people are just empty. And dying, and let me tell you something. Tomorrow morning, there'll be hundreds of students just like him that walk through the doors of J.M. Robinson High School and Hickory Ridge and every middle school and every elementary school that you can name. They're empty. And searching, God forbid they, they think of using some sort of weapon to hurt other people. But hurt people hurt people. And this guy had been abandoned by the people around him most of his life, if not all of his life. No God prince on his life, just emptiness. And it showed up. But there will be kids that walk into schools tomorrow and they're the same way, just as empty, just as shattered, just as broken. When they could be full and complete in Jesus Christ, he's what's missing. Paul says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with, uh, with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were 
also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul does here is is he says it's time for people to stop looking at what's on the outside and pay attention to what's on the inside. Apparently some of these false teachers were Jewish in their background because Paul addresses circumcision. And during that day and time, the only people who were circumcised were the Jewish people. And their circumcision, which was their flesh, I'm not going to tell you what circumcision is from the stage. You know if you don't, ask someone when you leave. But their circumcision was an outward symbol of their commitment, faith with God. But it was on the outside. And so some of these Jewish teachers that are inside of the church are saying, well, you you have Jesus, but listen, if you really want to be a part of the family of God, you have to also do these physical things. You have to do these things that are on the outside of the body. And Paul says, look, to these Jewish Christians, and I think to their great relief, uh, or to these Gentile Christians, you don't have to be circumcised. He says, you were circumcised in your heart through the work of Jesus when you were baptized. He said, for you, the outward symbol of your inward commitment is that you have been baptized in Jesus Christ. And then he says, what has been done, what it all boils down to is your faith in Jesus. He says, and when you were dead in your trespasses, verse 13, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. But it was through faith. It's not about the circumcision. It's not about just that act of baptism. Although we're obedient to Jesus in baptism. He says it's not what happens on the outside of a person. Instead, it's about what happens on the inside of a person. And their faith in Christ that makes them whole and complete. And then he says in verse 14... He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. In in Bible times, people were slaves for different reasons. Uh, And when you think slavery in the Bible, you shouldn't just think about slavery that is a part of of our history in the United States of America. That, That was for economics as well, but it was also, there's the racial element to that. In Bible times, anyone could be a slave, but mostly a person was a slave Because they owed some debt that could not be repaid. They had debtors prison. And so when Paul talks here about a person having a certificate of debt, what he's referring to is a person who owes Visa, MasterCard, not really a company, but when they owe an individual, you borrow $500 from an individual, you can't pay it back then if you go beyond the terms that you've agreed to, you had to be arrested, but you had to sign your own paperwork in your own hand 
you had to write out a document showing exactly why you're being put into this debtor's prison. And when you were thrown into prison, you would stay there until someone would pay for you to get out of prison. Some people would sell their children into slavery to buy themselves out of prison. Or miraculously, you were able to somehow work off your indebtedness as a part of slave labor. But it's typically a debt you cannot pay. And so Paul reminds all of us here, and certainly the Colossians then, that when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, that he took care of a debt they could not themselves pay. They had obligations that they couldn't deal with. And so Jesus did by nailing it to the cross. And not, not, only, not only did he pay the debt, he erased it. He got rid of it. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become complete, you become whole. But listen, you also become forgiven. Probably one of the things I struggle with as a Christian the most is past sins. Maybe you're like me, but from time to time, it's like Satan. I never know when it's going to happen. It's like he just jumps into my life and presses the play button on my past. And sometimes it's audio. Sometimes, Scott, it comes back as visuals. But it's a reminder of the sins that I've committed in the past the things that I'm ashamed of, the things I'm grateful to be forgiven of. But Satan will play that in my mind as a way of trying to remind me about who I was and try to make me believe that that's who I still am. And the point that Paul is making here is, listen, it's not Jesus and anything else. You're whole and complete in Jesus. And he says, remember, when, when anyone wants to throw your past or even your present into your face, you just remember that in Christ Jesus, you have been forgiven. He goes on to say that he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. And he says, therefore, based on what he just says about Jesus, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These were all other religious traditions, most of them coming out of Judaism. But Paul says, listen, don't let other people hang these things on your lives. He says, these are a shadow of what is to come. The substance is Christ. He says, don't don't hang on to empty, meaningless ritual and traditions. He says, instead, hold on to Christ because he's the substance. He's the matter. He's what's real. He's what you can trust and depend on. Let no one condemn you. That's a warning label. Let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices And the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm 
such as people are inflated or, or such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. One of the things that these false teachers were saying is, listen, if you're, if you're really going to be a child of God, if you really want to be spiritual, then you have to start doing things that puts you in a visionary stance. You've got to start doing things that will put you in the spiritual realm. You've got some things that you need to add to your life spiritually so that you can be like the rest of us. And Paul says, listen, don't, don't listen to any of that garbage. They're spiritual, but only in their minds. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with the growth from God. If you died in Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to this world? Why do you submit to regulations like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are the human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom and promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. I grew up in a Baptist church. You've heard me say it many times before. My grandpa was my pastor until I was probably about 18. And... uh, it was a conservative church. I would call it a conservative church. But compared to the school I grew up in, which was Pentecostal holiness, a church of God's school, we were big-time liberal. <laughs> I like to call myself Baptocostal. And uh, in some ways, I think it, it helped me grow up with a healthy sense of what the middle can look like. But in some ways, it just really messed me up. But one of the good things about growing up in both faith traditions, and both of them are Christian, of course, in the Baptist church, not much was wrong. Now, that might not be what you think of when you think of Baptist church, but that was the one I grew up in. I mean, we had the big sins. You don't want to murder somebody. You don't want to rape someone. You don't want to do anything that might land you in prison. But if it wasn't something like that, we just weren't really talking about it. In the Church of God school, even some of the things you wore as clothing was sinful. And so I got a healthy dose of judgmentalism and to be honest with you it made me so rebellious and uh, it had a bigger effect on me than I really thought it it would when I began to preach because I found myself actually thinking more about what was on the outside of a person rather than what's on the inside of a person And then early in my ministry, there were some people around me that really kind of helped that sort of thinking along. Donnie, I'll never forget a lady coming into my office one day in the first church that I pastored. And 
and it, it was actually her and her husband, but the husband was upset, but she was just in tears. And through her sobbings, she, I, I could tell it was about her son. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's got cancer. He's, he no longer believes in Jesus. I mean, this is gonna be huge. And then finally, when I was able to kind of corral her emotions just a little bit, I called her name and said, what is it? Tell me. And she said, he, 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 wants, he wants a tattoo. I'm like, really? I mean, I had to handle it more pastorally than that. But I'm thinking, seriously? He wants a, he wants a tattoo? She said, yeah, he wants a tattoo. Will you preach a sermon against tattoos? And I scoured the Bible, trying to find a place about marking yourself up. And and there is a place in the Old Testament, but it has more to do with social things in the family of God than it does salvation relationship things with God. One of the hardest things I had to do in ministry was tell her I couldn't preach a sermon on not getting tattoos. Now, I will say this about tattoos before we close. Um, First of all, if you live at home with your parents and they're still making the rules for you and they don't want you to have a tattoo, you shouldn't have a tattoo. That's a good rule. If you're out on your own and you're old enough to get your own tattoo, I would just say use some caution. Because what looks cute on your backside when you're 25 or 30 (laughs) may not look so cute when you're 55 or 60. It may look like a a roadmap to the state of Florida. You know, because as we get older, things start drooping and dropping, don't they? She had the problem that a lot of people have. And that is with looking on the outside rather than looking on the inside. Paul says, listen, don't let people condemn you for what you eat. Don't let people condemn you based on what's on the outside of your life. Don't get caught up in legalism, which is trying to be good enough to be acceptable to God. He says instead to trust in Jesus who does the real work on the inside of a person. Jesus himself said it's not what goes in a person's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his heart. Is your heart right today? That's what matters. Maybe on the outside you look like you've got it all together. Maybe on the outside you do have it all together. But maybe on the inside where a person's really defiled, maybe you've got some problems there. Maybe the problem is you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe the problem is that you're holding on to some pet sin that keeps you from growing and maturing. Let's pray about it. Would you stand with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. First, I want to pray about that pet sin. Listen, I know something about holding on to sin. 
sins that we sort of coddle and, and pet in our lives. We're, we're good in most areas. But then, then there's that area, maybe, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's anger or bitterness or jealousy or resentment. Maybe it's the way that you talk. But holding on to a sin like that, not dealing with it, not allowing God to deal with it, it'll stunt your growth. It'll become like a weed in your life that multiplies, that replicates. It grows up and it chokes out the good that God wants to do in your life. So if you're holding on to a sin, let's pray about it. Lord, I pray over whatever these secret sins may be in our lives, things that we're holding on to. Maybe we've never even thought about it that way. Maybe we've been living with some sin so long that it, it feels like an old friend. Or maybe it's recognized as an old foe, but Lord, we pray that we would recognize it now and then turn it over to you and let you start dealing with it. Let you start doing that work, not just on the outside, because on the outside, other people don't know about it, but on the inside, we know it and you know it. We pray that you would deal with it. Cut it away, pull it out, get rid of it. And then for those who have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that right now, they would simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, I'm gonna stop going in the direction I've been headed in and I'm gonna start walking in your direction. Thank you for loving me and saving me. Thank you for erasing my certificate of sin, paying the sin debt I could never repay. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me the power and the courage to live for you every day. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. Donnie, you close us. If you'd like to respond to Pastor Jimmy's message today, you could do so by using the connection card. And you could take that connection card by dropping it in the offering basket or go to the information table. We've got a tool for you to help you in your walk with Christ. We'd like to thank you for being here today. If you're a guest with us today, don't forget about letting us know on the connection card. Rock River Church, we love you. God bless you. And we'll see you next Sunday.